see just how amazing that grace is. I think we come to uh, we come to the main point of the book of Galatians. We come to this this pinnacle uh, this morning. So grab your Bibles, open it up to Galatians chapter two. We're going to be looking at verses fifteen and sixteen. Two verses. Um, two verses. To spend one week on these two verses is hardly enough. This is, a, this is mountain range after mountain range. We could stay here for a long time, and I think you're going you're gonna to see why that is. But we will just dedicate one Sunday to these two verses. Last week, we looked at this, this incident that happened in Antioch where Paul confronts the apostle Peter for not living in step with the gospel. Peter was compromising the gospel. Paul lays this incident before the Galatians in his letter to them to put it in parallel with the false teachings that have been infiltrating the churches of Galatia. In Galatia and in this incident in Antioch, the gospel is being undermined by works of the law. And so Paul attacks both situations in Antioch and in Galatia with the gospel. And so we get the, the gospel, finally. He hasn't yet told us the gospel, so he's going to tell us today what the gospel is, and he's going to bring us to the main point of his letter in these two verses. And what I want you to see today is what it means to be justified. You have been justified, and that's a word that's thrown around in church a lot. What does that mean? Oh, and it is so, so deep. So let's read some of this. I'm going to start in verse 11 so we get some context, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 21 from chapter 2. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners." Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law... Then Christ died for no purpose. Wow. Father, we praise you for these words. 
Oh, our eternal life hangs on these words. And as we unpack them today, would you guide us, infuse each one of us with the Holy Spirit to hear what this means and fill us with tremendous overflowing joy as a result of what is done for us on our behalf we didn't deserve totally as a gift of grace. Fill us with joy in response to these tremendous things. Lord, use my words to do these things. Speak through me and keep me from error. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So you get to verse 15, and you see a we. We ourselves are Jews by birth. Clearly, this is not addressed to the Galatians, because the Galatians are mostly Gentiles. So who is this we that he is talking about? Well, he's still talking to Peter. The quotation in your Bible might end, but this is still his confrontation, his address to Peter. And he keeps talking to Peter from verse, well, he starts in verse 14 and he goes all the way to 21. That's all a part of his address to Peter. It might be paraphrased for us here, but that's all still a part of what he's saying to Peter. And thereby, the other uh, Jews who are in Antioch, and because he wrote it here, He's speaking to the Galatians and to us, any reader of this letter. He doesn't stop this address to Peter until you get to chapter 3, verse 1, where he then directly addresses the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians! So I just want you to know, all of this is being spoken to Peter in front of the church of Antioch. And Paul gives these details from his speech Because the gospel is the highest authority in Antioch. The gospel is the highest authority in Galatia. The gospel is the highest authority over over Paul and over Peter. And yet, like I said, he has not told us what the gospel is yet. He's said the word gospel. He's referenced what its implications are. He's talked about its authority, its effects. But he has not yet told us the gospel. And today he does, in verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There it is. That is the gospel. A very dense, jam-packed, powerful, profound version of the gospel. You're given an ocean in just a couple sentences. A person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So the gospel is all about how a person is justified. The gospel is primarily about how a person is justified. Everything else, fighting sin, living a holy life, being glorified in heaven with Christ, all of that stuff are the the implications of justification. It's what justification secures or generates. The gospel is all about how a person is justified. So as the dictionary defines it, To justify means to 
means that someone is declared right or good, legitimate. It is a legal term, a, a term used in court. So let's say that somebody's accused of a crime. Let's say you are accused of a crime. After all, the evidence is presented before the judge. The judge will declare whether the defendant, whether you, are guilty or not guilty. Right? The action of declaring the defendant not guilty is to justify them, to declare them just, to acknowledge that they are right, that they are guiltless, and that they are free to go enjoy life. They have been justified. Now, important to note, the judge is not making a person guilty or not guilty. The judge is observing what that person already is as the evidence dictates and merely declaring what that person is, right? Like an, almost like an objective observer. You are guilty or not guilty based on the evidence of your life. Likewise, justification, according to the gospel, has legal ramifications, and we need to dive deeper to see what this means, to see how this applies to us. The first thing that you should notice, just kind of jump off the page and slap you in the face, is that you need to be justified. There is something serious that has happened that has landed you in front of the judge and now there is a need for you to be declared just or not. Some serious problem before the almighty judge where we face the possibility of condemnation. Oh no, 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 not the possibility. The inevitability of condemnation. Romans 2, 11 and 12 God shows no partiality, for all have sinned without the law. Uh, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So very quickly, do you know what sin is? Sin is a violation of the law. And so you sin, you violate the law, you don't even know about the law, you still have violated the law. You know about the law, and you violated the law. Either way, everybody, all, have sinned and violated the law. And they face punishment, condemnation. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or the Gentile, doesn't matter if you know the law or not, you face condemnation on this day of judgment. Condemnation, that's the opposite of justification. That's where you are declared guilty, and you now must face punishment. You deserve punishment. And so when one is condemned in the court of God, they are thrown into eternal isolation, separation, without parole, forever. Every person is a sinner. Every person is a violator of the law. Every person, therefore, is a creature condemned before their creator, deserving the second death. Jesus calls this the second death. So we are in a desperate situation. If there is a way, 
If there is any way where we can avoid condemnation, we need to find that way. It doesn't matter the cost. We need to find that way. If there's a way to be justified, we should lay everything aside that we might get that way. And there are two ways that Paul presents, two ways that humans seek justification. There are only two ways. And the first that he lists is by works of the law. Now, Paul is directly referring to the Mosaic law, these 613 commands that God gave to Israel for them to follow. 613 ways to show these people what it means to be holy. God gave these laws to say to the Jews, to the Israelites, this is what sin looks like. Avoid it. This is what holiness looks like. Live in it. He did not give the law to say, obey these 613 commandments and you will be justified and you will be saved. That is not what he was doing. And yet that's how the Israelites came to understand the law as a means to their salvation. They lost their way. And this good law from God became a curse to them. However much they strove, however many good things they did, they could not even meet the most basic demands of the law. They're still sinners. And the law could not make them righteous. The law could not remove their condemnation. In fact, the law revealed how condemned they were. Look at all of these things that are holy, and you're not doing them. They couldn't live up to the standards of the law. But they could see how many sins they were committing, they could, and they couldn't stop sinning. But even still... The Israelites, the Jews, the Pharisees, they tried to twist this law into a way where they could become right with God. It became like a bribery technique. They tried to pay off the judge with good works. Look at all these good things we are doing, God. And now you are obligated to declare us righteous because of all these good things that we are doing. We have earned our justification, God. We are good enough for heaven. So open the doors, God. See, this is a posture of arrogance, isn't it? In itself, this posture is a violation of God's law. Therefore, in trying to earn God's favor, they were only heaping on themselves more condemnation. And that is exactly why God says, all of your righteousness is like filthy rags before me. It disgusted God. But they would try to use their good works to manipulate their way into heaven. I spend all of that time explaining that because what I want to show you now is that this is not a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. 
If you're, go, if you're to go out and survey people on the streets, and if you ask them, are you a good person? Do you think you deserve to get into heaven? Almost all of them will say yes. Everybody believes, for whatever reason, that they are good enough. Everybody is living by some kind of law by which they're judging themselves, right? Romans 5, verses 14 and 15 says, For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So every human being lives by some form of law. And that law is in accord with God's law. Or at least there are elements of it that are in accordance with God's law. God has written his law on the heart of every single person. And when they violate the law, they are condemned. When they violate their own law, they are condemned under the law of God. And so here's an example. Let's say I don't know the Mosaic law. I have a totally secular perspective. I don't care about religion at all. And yet, I hate it. When people talk about me behind my back, I hate it. I feel that it's wrong. I know that it's wrong. And then I hear this juicy tidbit about somebody, ah, somebody I don't like that much. And so I go and I spread that. I gossip. I am condemned under my own law. I can't even live up to my own standards. And that, my hatred for gossip, is the law of God written on my heart, though I am secular, though I am a Gentile. I cannot be good enough by my standards, let alone God's standards. Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37, Jesus says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. There are billions of people out there who are striving to be good people, hoping that on that day, the good deeds and the bad deeds will be weighed in the scales of their life, and the good deeds will weigh out. And they will be able to say to God, we've earned our justification. Look, the good is better than the bad. Now you're obligated to let me into heaven. Oh, this is not a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. It is true for Islam. It is true for Hinduism. It is true for mysticism. It is true for all man-made religions. Even humanists and atheists, they want to be justified in other people's eyes for being good people. They don't acknowledge the fact that they will face the judge. But everybody is striving to be good. So in verse 16, Paul is saying to Peter and, and to the rest of the Jews, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. And that is a central element to the gospel. You can't have the gospel without that. The law, trying to be good, will not make you good, and it will not justify you. There is no human achievement. 
that puts you in right standing with God. And now what I want you to see is that Paul is doing something amazing. And this is why he was so hated. He's not arguing that Gentiles should be included with the Jews as the people of God. He's arguing that the Jews should be included with the Gentiles as part of the mess of ordinary humanity. He is flipping the whole religious paradigm on its head. Every human, Jew and Gentile, face the same problem of sin and condemnation, not being able to be justified by human achievement or by works of the law, condemned. And then Paul presents the other means of justification. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. God, knowing our problem with the law, he had always planned to take care of that problem, take care of it himself, and so he, God the Son, took on flesh, and he lived perfectly according to the law. Jesus Christ lived perfectly according to the law. He need, that means he needed no justification according to the law. He already was just. He already was merciful and loving. He was righteous apart from the law. And then amazingly, this righteous one undeservedly takes our place before the judge and though he was innocent, he was declared condemned. He suffered the punishment for our wicked violations of the law. And he is killed. And the father turns his face from him. And when he rises from the grave, three days later, he defeats our condemnation. He defeats our sin. He defeats our punishment. So every curse that exists for law-breaking is itself broken. Jesus Christ, condemned though he was innocent, alive though he was killed, he fulfilled the law. He completed the law. He transcended the law. And then there's this phrase that Paul throws out. Putting our faith in, by putting our faith in him, we are justified. What's that? Like eight words? And it's like an explosion of reality. By putting our faith in him, we are justified. By trusting in Jesus, by believing in Jesus, by giving our lives to Jesus, by loving him with all that we are, by finding joy in Jesus, you are justified. I'm saying that there's so much here. So I want to show you what's here. Five things that happen to you immediately. The moment that you believe they are true of you right now if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Five things that are so important for us to understand that come to us through this justification. 
And if you have a pulse as a Christian, they should be igniting a fire in you, a joy in you for what Christ has done. One, when you are justified, the countless times you broke God's law, all of your sins are forgiven. There is this list of every infraction, majority, I bet you don't even know they exist. Everything you broke according to the law, and they are forgiven. God blots out your transgressions. He separates them from you as far as the east is from the west. It's an infinite separation between you and your sins. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. No iniquity. There's just thoughts rolling through my head every, every day. There's just sin, 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 sin. You know, if you could see the list, it'd be like the, a ticker item or something. It's just ding, 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 ding. Gone. You're guilty of breaking God's law. Christ received thorns and shame on your behalf for your sins and as a free gift of grace by faith forgiven. God chooses to remember your sins no more. You are justified. The second thing that happens with justification is that on the day of judgment, if a foolish demonic accuser were to arise and point out all of your failings and all of your sins, the ways that you constantly fell and broke the law, every one of those accusations would fall on deaf ears. Jesus silences the voice of the accuser. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Instead of accusation, do you know what the judge hears? The voice of Christ. And Christ is saying, I died for this one. I have cleansed her. I live so that she may live. And the judge will say, righteous. Who can condemn if Christ is your lawyer? your Savior. So right now, God does not see you as a sinner if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation. You do not need to doubt your forgiveness, your justification. Not even Satan can accuse you Christ silences all accusers. And so I ask you, why do you condemn yourself? Let Christ silence that voice. You are justified. The third thing that comes to us through justification 
Well, God is a judge unlike any other judge. And thank God. No human judge makes the defendant innocent. But this judge, God, the divine judge, he's different. When you are justified, you are freely given the righteousness of Christ. You are made righteous, good, perfect, just, and merciful. Philippians 3, 8 and 9, For Christ's sake, Paul is talking, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So there's this alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of yourself, outside of humanity, that comes to you by faith in Jesus Christ. It's given to you. You become not just righteous. You become God's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake the Father made the Son to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It is unbelievable that God would give his righteousness to us, and now when he looks at us, he sees his own righteousness. So when the judge asks for the evidence of righteousness, What's presented is nothing from your life, but Christ presents his righteousness. And he says, this is the evidence for this one. This is exhibit A and the only exhibit. And God says, righteous. You are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You are given his righteousness. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You couldn't live up to it. But God graciously and freely gives it to you. Human righteousness does not exist. And God gives you his own. So when he looks at you, and the Father looks at you and looks at you now, today, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're this mirror. You're reflecting the Son to the Father. And he only has Love for you. Delight for you. Remember what he said about his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now he sees his son in you. God delights in you and the righteousness of his son that you have been given. He sees holiness. And he says, justified. You are justified. The fourth thing that comes to us through our justification, now that you're forgiven, now that you've been given the gift of righteousness, both by grace, now he unites you to his son. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
Dave taught us a little bit about marriage this morning. The most intimate of human relationships between man and woman. It's inseparable. It's bound together in self-sacrificial love. Living for each other's pleasure. And the best human marriage that has ever existed is but a shadow of this relationship that we, the church, have with Christ. He gave his life to justify his bride. And now we give our lives to live in that righteousness, fighting against sinful desires, to be as close to Christ as we can possibly be. Because we love him. We are united to him. We want to be with him. We are one. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You are justified. Number five, through faith in Jesus, the way that God has chosen to secure this justification so you can never be unjustified is that he indwells you with his Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ has come to dwell in your heart. 2 Corinthians 1.22, God has put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as what? A guarantee. When you are justified, God invades your life. You are a new creation in Christ. You cannot be unmade. You are sealed. You are guaranteed. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, has come to dwell in you and change your desires. The Spirit will enable you to live in righteousness. Like one who is justified, you are now alive to the things of the Spirit, to the things of God. The love of God is awakened in you. You are justified. So again, justification is this legal term. You cannot be justified by trying to obey the law, any law, but only through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in Jesus to have fulfilled the law on your behalf, believing that he took the punishment you deserve for violating the law. Being certain that he rose from the dead, securing your newness of life by believing in those things. You are justified. The law of God and the law that is written on every human heart cannot condemn you any longer. You are forgiven. No voice can accuse you. You are righteous. You are united with Christ and the living God and the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. You are justified. So briefly, I want to talk about faith. Because this comes to you by faith. We looked at what Christ did, the gospel. We looked at what justification means. What is faith? 
One thing's for sure. It is not some cognitive recognition. It is not some intellectual assent. It's far more than acknowledging that he died on the cross and he rose again and now he gives his Holy Spirit. It's far more than just knowing about forgiveness and justification. Merely knowing gospel truths is not faith. Satan knows these things probably far better than you or I do. Intellectually. Faith is being transformed by gospel truths. This is why Paul confronts Peter. Peter was not letting the gospel transform his actions in Antioch. Peter was going back to the ways of the law. And so Paul calls him out. Calls him out for his hypocrisy. Calls all the others that were being dragged into that hypocrisy. Calls all of them out. That is not gospel transformation. That is not what it looks like to be justified. This is all meant to change our lives, bring us into a whole new way of living. Our desires are made different. There's a joy in Christ and the freedom that he brings that is new and bursting, I hope. Because by trusting in Christ that you have been justified you begin to see that this, this love of God that's being lavished on you, poured out on you. Love like a father loves his beloved son. Love like a husband loves his cherished and beautiful bride. And the law begins itself to transform, begins to change. The law becomes a way to be near Jesus, to be like him, to express your love for him. Jesus summed up the law like this. The most important commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. The law becomes all about love. No longer is it a ruthless master over you, a source of condemnation. It's a way for you to express your love in response to how God has justified you. Love for Christ who gave himself for you. Love for others who are in desperate need of justification just as you are. No longer a source of condemnation, transformed in a way for you to express your love for God and your love for others. And next week we're going to look at that more closely, because that's where Paul goes next. We'll look at the way faith and justification are meant to transform our lives, to turn us into a whole new way of living, a whole new way of viewing the law. And this new way that we are being called into, it's a hard way. It's a way that feels a lot like dying and a lot like living. It's held in tension. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's like dying. It's like living. It is the life of one who has been justified.
Next week, there's going to be a drama depicting this. Our brother, Eric Freischlag, is going to get baptized. And the week after, Carrie Summit will follow. And that is a drama of what it looks like for one to go from death to life, justified. And I can't wait. Today, we have a drama that shows us these things too. And this table, the blood of Christ represented by the Jews, spilled on our behalf. That blood cleanses us and washes us. That blood and the bread that represents the broken body, these are the things, the price that it took for us to be justified. And when you hold it in your hand, do not let it be common bread and common juice. Let it remind you of what Christ did on that cross so that you could be called justified. So the ushers will come around and they will pass out these elements. And I ask that you wait to partake. We're all going to do that together. And I ask that you have, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, I ask you to refrain from partaking, but to consider the things that we have talked about. Consider the way in which Christ has justified or made justification available. Even us who are taking, consider that way. Let's pray. There is no way to express our gratitude for forgiving us and wiping away every infraction we've ever committed and will commit, for silencing the voice of Satan and breaking his neck, for uniting us with Christ and indwelling us with your Holy Spirit. And giving us your righteousness. There's no way to thank you for these things. I'm grateful that we have eternity to try to get it out. I know it's not long enough. We praise you so deeply. We are so grateful for what you have done on our behalf. And we praise you. We praise you for sending Christ and his son, crucified, or your son, crucified and risen. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.